Welcome to the Notion Club podcast. I'm Justin Hall, and joining me is Ian Duncan, as well as Jared Hall, Dakota Lazenby, and Jeremy O'Brien, each of whom is a member of a group of men here in Virginia, which has been meeting on a weekly basis without fail since the end of 2018. This group of men is a band of brothers, a platoon, a round table. We meet to keep each other accountable in our everyday life. We meet to encourage and challenge each other in zeal, to exhort each other to always be strong and never quit, and to compete against each other in that brotherly contest of outdoing one another and showing honor. Welcome to our men's group. This is episode 15 of season two of the Notion Club. This is uh, something of a Notion Club first to have a group discussion, but since we meet uh, on a weekly basis along with many other men, I thought it was about time we actually sit down and talk about uh, this very integral part of our lives, which is our men's group. So joining me and Ian remotely from scattered parts of Virginia are three members of that men's group. So this men's group was began by Jeremy uh, at the end of 2018. So Jeremy, maybe you can start this discussion by just talking about your motivation for beginning a group such as this. Why'd you do it, Jeremy? Well, okay. So it was the smallest thing. It was the most normal thing that ever happened. My brother and I and one of our the first friends we had who i guess it was almost three years ago now that we decided to go to get pizza together and the three of us were just sitting down talking about how remarkable it was that there weren't any women around and how rare that is and we were just discussing the the phenomenon and that maybe we should be doing this more often and that's that's actually exactly how it started we decided well we're going to do it then we're going to just meet as men. It's going to be a men's group. And we didn't exactly know what we were doing, but we knew it was a good thing. And coupled with that was the fact that I was very recently a believer. And I knew that there were very important men in my life that for some reason I hadn't been speaking with or staying connected with at all. I just drifted from them, but they were still important people in my life. Who I cared deeply for. People who didn't know each other, they just played important roles in different chapters of my life. And I realized that it would be a great idea to contact them and get them all to come to this men's group. And we can reconnect and see what's happening in one another's lives. And it was also another excuse to open up about my exciting testimony to them. We decided that this was definitely something that the Lord had put together for us 
and that it was an amazing thing God was going to do for us. And we were going to just give it to him and, and it needed to be Christ led is what we knew. So, and we didn't exactly know what that looked like, but we did the best we could to keep it focused on spiritual growth and brotherhood and fellowship. It was also a really great excuse to grill a bunch of meat. Yeah, yeah that didn't hurt. Jeremy, I'm, I'm curious when you guys were sitting around and noticed that there were no women, was there any kind of group consensus on how that changed the dynamic? Yeah, definitely. My brother pointed out that when women are around, your, your behavior changes entirely. It's not that you're not being genuine when women are around, but there's definitely like an intimacy that is unique that you can experience around brothers who you trust. And, you know, it seems like there's always this internal dialogue going on when there's other women around. Like, how are we supposed to behave? Do, how gentle do we need to be? Let's say the right things. Let's be on our best behavior. And and when you're around men, it's it's just more relaxed in that way. And you're able to relate with one another in a way that isn't going to leave the women out, I guess. You're not worried about being polite in those ways. Okay, so, so this is interesting. So to sort of paraphrase what you just described, creating a men's group with a specific purpose that this is exclusively for men for the purpose of figuring out how to be men and how to embody masculine virtue. And to say any of this, it's completely, it's not just countercultural, it's really crossing a sacred line in our culture which is that you don't make these distinctions there's something that we've been trained to perceive as maybe bigoted or sexist or at the very least old-fashioned when we're talking about embodying masculine virtue and that's something that a lot of the guys at the very beginning had to work through right because at best it seemed like a very bizarre foreign it might have even seemed like a form of role playing hmm. yeah we also felt rebellious some of the guys were talking about the marvel of it you know are we even allowed to do this like is this what guys do haven't we moved past this in our culture like guys don't do this it was a confusion you know what are we doing and why is this so awesome i think i'd like to push back a little bit on the what you said justin about crossing this cultural line i would say that the church in particular has we've always been on this side of the river you know we didn't cross that line with the rest of culture when culture lost its mind and started saying that men and women are the same and that they should be interchangeable. We've always been here believing that men need other men and iron sharpens iron and that there was a reason why it was important that Abraham had 300 trained men in his household, that men are capable of certain things and need certain things. And that, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like we're, right. we have held to the tradition, which is now perceived as being radical, but it's us who have remained the same and the world that has gone berserk. Right. And I think that's an, that's an important thing to remember is that we're actually conserving a tradition that is as old as the earth itself. Yeah. As old as man. Yeah, I think so when you're saying we, you're talking about the church universal, like the, the Catholic church, not the Roman Catholic church, but the... Um, I think our cultural ideas, though, about men and women and what it means to embody virtue as a man or as a woman, we've been completely indoctrinated by the church, especially evangelical, the evangelical church overall, which is why that, you know, you can begin a men's group and call it a, a men's group for the purpose of being a Christian man. And every all of the Christian guys think it's bizarre. you know. Yeah, so this is a recovery operation. 
mm-hmm. but it's recovering something that we've rightfully owned all this time. Right. We should have never ceded it. If we did, we need we have to get it back. Yeah. Jeremy, I want to ask you about something that you said. You mentioned the dynamic that changed when it was just men, or, or the dynamic that's different about men meeting together alone as a brotherhood. And you said that you can be more relaxed and less polite, right? So what would you say is the importance of brotherly exhortation that is, well, let's say thick-skinned, strong, maybe even rough at times, but with the interest of spurring on a fellow brother to embody masculine virtue and virtues like courage, strength, integrity. These are probably the the three major virtues, which is why, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, I think, be courageous act like men. So what can that dynamic offer to men and to brothers? What does that kind of exhortation look like that wouldn't be possible in another setting? So I I guess that the question is, what is so significant about brotherhood in the cultivation of masculine virtue? So one of the things that we've done recently in the men's group is gone through first timothy chapter three which is the qualifications for overseers or elders these are really the pastors of a church and you know when you when you first think of oh a men's group think of what toxic masculinity is you think of this coarseness that must take place kind of interesting that you know the first things that that qualifies someone to be an overseer a pastor and one of the things that we talked about is you know, this isn't just a, a job description. This is what every man should be, um, should be moving towards. This is what the ideal man looks like. So one of the qualifications in here, um, they should be above reproach. They should be sober-minded. They should be self-controlled and respectable. You know, these are qualities that aren't typically associated with what you would think of as toxic masculine quality. And yet, I would say that this is what an ideal man would look like. The very first thing is the title of the overseer itself, someone who desires this this office of an elder or an overseer. It's really talking about someone in leadership. So I think that is primarily what we are calling and equipping and helping each other to become. As men, we are given a calling to be leaders, whether it's a leader in a church or at least a leader in our own household. So every man is called to be a leader of some sort. Men are given a calling to be leaders, and it takes a fellowship of men and a fellowship of brothers in order to, in order to actualize that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I just kind of want to take a step back and and address some of this toxic masculinity idea. You know, when I think about that, I think about the persona of like the belligerent, partially drunken college frat boy just wanting to be a man with his friends and, and acting a fool, right? And this Christian idea of masculinity and what it means to be a man just flies in the face of that that image, right? You're talking about a man who is who is rock solid, a man who is uh, reliable, somebody that you would turn to to get your deepest questions answered, somebody that you can, you know, expect to be there with you in the fight, uh, no matter what it is. That is what our men's group is striving after, right? We're we're there for one another. We're we're striving to be the kind of men that would fall on a sword for one another, 
that is something that you really can't get in in like a mixed group setting. Now, there's certainly value in meeting together, fellowshipping with other Christians in a mixed group setting. That is something that I experienced as I was in the United Arab Emirates. The church there had a life group, and it was the first time that I had ever really experienced that small group intimate fellowship. And so when I came home from my my travels abroad, I was looking for that same type of thing. Uh, But the only thing that I had in my mind at the time was this mixed group fellowship, and it was wonderful. But when I got home, Jeremy approached me about joining the men's group. And at first, I mean, I was just weary from my travels, so there was some reluctance. But after I started coming and really getting to know the men there, and once we really started bonding, it's really an irreplaceable kind of fellowship when you meet together as men, sharing a meal, singing hymns, praying for one another, right? Sharing these intimate details that you really wouldn't want to share in a mixed setting. That's the kind of openness and intimacy you can get when you let yourself dive deep with a group of men. And that is what it takes to reach the standard that has been set forth in the Bible, in especially in that passage in Timothy that Jared was talking about. Yeah, I think that one of the things that bounds us together as a men's group is this the fact that the world is opposed to us like the the very existence of this idea of toxic masculinity is is forming us the way persecution formed the early church in a different sort of way it's it's forcing us to appreciate what we have here because it is ill regarded or it is it is persecuted against it's an it's an unpopular idea and so that, the rarity of this makes us appreciate it all the more. And it gives us a common purpose in the antagonism that we face out in the world. It is one of the things that's forming us. It's not just a casual group without opposition. This is a group in wartime that exists for a purpose. And I think that's really important because when you look at passages like Isaiah 3, where it's talking about God's judgment or a judgment on a nation, one of the judgments is a lack of strong leadership. And I think for a strong church to exist or for a strong family to exist or for a strong nation to exist, you have to have strong leadership. In Isaiah chapter 3, there's going to be judgment on Jerusalem. There's going to be judgment on Judah. And in verse 4, it says, you know, God is speaking. He says, I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. What we're trying to do in the men's group is create strong male leadership, which would be the exact opposite of what, what this would be. Instead of boys and, and children leading, it's adults leading, strong-willed and have knowledge and wisdom. That's really what we're trying to do is create a new generation of strong leaders, whether it's for the nation or for the home. Yeah. Another thing about that is holding each other accountable in these groups. It's not like we're meeting just as a support group. We're not meeting to pat each other on the back and sympathize and and agree with one another every day. We're meeting to exhort one another and to correct one another. And these ugly sins that we all deal with, that we all face, and these, these battles that we're all familiar with, we're able to point one another, we can encourage one another towards holiness and towards purity and towards obedience. And a lot of these things, as Jared pointed out, are, are not things that you would necessarily, or, or maybe they shouldn't really be discussed in graphic detail 
if you're around women. And, you know, I think something that's nat- natural in us as, as men is to take care of our women and to nurture and protect them. And, you know, women face gruesome battles of their own uniquely, but there's something to be said for fighting certain battles away from your women together and exposing some of the ugliest things uh, and confessing these things to one another in just a group of men in, in a setting that is that is apart from the women so that you can deal with the, the true ugliness of these things in its rawest form just among one another. You know, men, men deal with, with lust more often than women do, I'm pretty sure. That's a pretty ugly sin. And it's, it's more effective to take care of that sort of thing with other men and to correct one another towards purity around other men. Than it is in a mixed setting. So, okay, so I have um, a couple things to follow up with that. So, Jared was talking about a distinction between boys and men, and that it's a it's a really bad thing when you you have a generation uh, of adults who are actually adult adolescents, you know, boys and the bodies of men, um, with the responsibilities that should be taken up by men. Uh, I often make this distinction about people I know who are men and who are boys. I don't tell them this necessarily, maybe I should, but I think you're talking about lust, you're talking about weaknesses that, well, all humans have, but perhaps men specifically. One of the things that it means to be a man is to get your passions under control and to conquer yourself. There's a an old, an ancient Latin phrase, winkit qui se winkit, he conquers who conquers himself. And... What that requires is that we need brothers to be tough on us. Like you were saying, we don't meet up to sympathize and to commiserate and to be emotional pads for each other. We meet together so that we can sharpen each other and benefit from each other's strength. You know, Jeremy, there was at one point uh, you confronted me and said, you know, I, I want to take you by the collar and scream in your face, what is wrong with you? And that, that, that was awesome. You know, that, that, that was exactly what I needed, you know. The absolute, the, absolutely the worst thing that I could have possibly had at that moment was emotional padding or sympathy. And, and that's precisely what our culture says that we need. I think, I think about, you know... <laughs> When prospective Navy SEALs are first going through BUDS training, you know, tadpoles, and they get to Hell Week, and, you know, it's it's 130 hours being awake, and they're driven to the extent of their ability to persevere. And it's, it's usually a lot of them drop out during surf torture, which is basically you lay down at night in ice-cold water and are driven essentially to the early stages of hyperthermia, but just mentally it's unbearable. And what the instructors are doing the whole time is saying, I mean, look, this could be over. We have hot soup, we have blankets right here. Uh, We can put you in the back of the truck and you can have hot pizza in 20 minutes, you know? And most of the men there buckle and give in to the promise of comfort. And most of them, so they ring the bell and they put their helmet on the sidewalk and that's it you can't if you ring the bell and you're you're done you can't try again to be a navy seal and so a lot of those guys regret that moment for the rest of their life because they just needed 10 more seconds of endurance and they could have gotten over that mental hurdle and 
a lot of the time the guys that succeed, it's because they realize they have to use each other's strengths. And often, I don't know if this is a tradition or not, but oftentimes one seal will start singing a song that everybody knows, and before long they're all singing it together. And that, that is enough to get them through something that's unbearable, because they're feeding off each other's strengths, and they're forsaking the promise of easy comfort, you know? And it's, it's that, you know, in that moment, it's hard to conquer yourself, and you need the strength of your brothers to do that, to, you know, sacrifice short-term pleasure for long-term joy and victory, essentially. So can we talk a little bit about that kind of exhortation? And the nature of men's group might be sort of rough and tumble, and I think it needs to be in order for us to to become what we need to become. I just had a conversation today with a group of people, and one of the things that was said is, you know, we, we should all strive to be courageous. That's a good thing to strive for. You know, courage is good. Let's all strive for it. But you can't really expect that of everybody, of, of every man, you know, because some men are further along than others. Some, some men, you just need to give them sympathy and, and a hug, you know, instead of this kind of firm exhortation and strength. So what's the deal with this kind of exhortation? I think it's interesting that you mentioned how singing songs together as a way of forming solidarity within a group. I just finished reading A Train in Winter, and it's actually about women in the French Resistance. Um, but one of the recurring themes, maybe unexpected in that book, is the singing of the French National Anthem together as they're being marched to the firing squad, as they're going to their deaths, they're singing together in song. You know, I'd like to tie that into what we do. Jared mentioned how we sing together, but that I think the war also tying into the Navy SEALs uh, training, I think wartime is the appropriate metaphor uh, and I think it's what's missing from so many men today, is, and I'm, I'm speaking particularly to Christian men, who don't seem to know that they're in a battle at all. And therefore, they don't know they need comrades. They need comrades in arms who are willing to fight side by side, who are willing to die in battle with them, and who think that that is glorious and that that's what they were meant for. But what we have are men wandering around who think they're at a buffet, and really they're on a battlefield. And then we wonder why we have casualties, and we wonder why you know you know you look at the relationships in biblical times. You look at David and Jonathan. You look at you know these these men Gideon, and and you look at you know stories we have, and even stories that are implied, you know, the, the camaraderie of the early disciples. You know, men need other men for a battle, and and that's we need to recover that. And, and one of the ways is realizing we're in a fight, realizing we can't do it alone, and then forming those groups around us out of necessity, not, not a, out of a whim or as a hobby and not to commiserate but to bolster each other for the fight yeah i mean and that's the hebrews passage about not forsaking the gathering right what's interesting about the passage in hebrews is first of all not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together the the other part of that passage though the first part is quoted more often than the second part the second part is but exhorting one another 
And that's really what we're doing in this group is, is exhortation, is encouragement. The, and the last part of that passage is, and so much more as you see the day approaching. It, it gives you purpose and hope to what you're doing. Yeah, it's interesting too, because the whole book of Hebrews was written with a mind to exhortation to keep your brothers from quitting, mm-hmm. quitting Christianity and going back to Judaism, ringing the bell on the faith and going back. Don't ring the bell. Don't give up on Christ. Don't go back. Don't fall back to the old way of, of life, the law, Judaism, just because things are hard. Stick with it. Yeah. And Paul, at the end of Hebrews 5, is saying, you should have been so much more progressed than you are. You know, why are you a baby? Why are you a boy and not a man? Yeah. And he talks about the people who fall away. If you're If you're a boy and you're not progressing and you don't think you should be progressing, you probably are not actually saved. You know, you might be an apostate. And of course, that culminates in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith and the, the men who of whom the world is not worthy, who are enduring through the worst of torture and persecution, you know, being sawed in two vertically. And then the beginning of Hebrews 12, where it's saying, run the race, throw off every encumbrance that's holding you back, and run, and you have to have discipline so that you can endure. You haven't even yet resisted your sin and your passions to the point of shedding your blood. I mean, there you have the conquering of yourself and the need for fellowship and your brothers to exhort you to that, to hold you accountable so that you don't ring the bell and that you're rapidly progressing and you're running as hard as you can. And you don't fall behind because if you fall behind, you're done. One of the things that I've, I've noticed about working with other men is that when I when I work with other men, we tend to work faster and faster because no one men bolster other men, men men spur other men on to work. And even when I'm out cutting up trees, if I'm cutting up trees with one of my friends who also has his own tree business we will inadvertently find ourselves working harder and harder. And it's not even so much of a competition. It's just you're not going to let your brother down. You're not going to slack while your brother is working hard. And that's that's why men, one of the reasons men need to be in the presence of other men, just like we used to have one-room schoolhouses where younger men could see old, well, younger boys could see older boys and be brought up into manhood, drawn up into manhood. They were inspired and they were motivated to become more mature. That's what happens naturally when you get men together in a group. When there's mature men, they inspire the younger men. And when there are hard-working men, they inspire the ones who've been slacking. You know, that's that's the way it's meant to be. And that, that can only happen in with men in the company of other men. It's kind of interesting that you mentioned David. I think David is probably the best example of a manly man. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. He's, the, he's the example of what a man should look like. And when you read about David, he's a mighty warrior. He's a strategist. He's a musician. And uh, like if you would think of think of the hardest Navy SEAL playing a harp and singing, you know, <laughs> one of the most beautiful passages in scripture, I think, is the description not just of David, but of David's mighty men that he has surrounding him. David was surrounded by 30-plus mighty men, men who had done all sorts of amazing deeds in battle. But there were three mighty men who were 
far above all of the all of those 30 and just the loyalty that they showed David one of the things about David was you know he didn't start out as a king he started out as a fugitive and he was constantly on the run and hiding in caves and the people that came to him during that time were the people who he was close to some of his own family and so these mighty men these three especially they had stuck with David for years and years before David even became king. And just reading about the loyalty and brotherhood and companionship that they showed David through all of those years and through all of that hard, difficult time, it's just beautiful. And w- when you read it, it's it becomes apparent that David would never even become king without the mighty men. David would never become king without those three loyal comrades. And what we're doing in the men's group is we're forming our own mighty men and we're doing all the same things that David did. David was is uh, the psalmist. He created all of these psalms, beautiful poetry that he put to music. And I can just imagine him, these three mighty men, the rest of the 30, the 600 soldiers that he had, all going down into battle to, to battle the Philistines and they're all singing some of David's own songs that he wrote. I mean, there's this quote that's attributed to Homer. It says, Noble and manly music invigorates the spirit, strengthens the wavering man, and incites him to great and worthy deeds. And I think it's very important for men to, to sing together as men because it, it, it is invigorating and it is strengthening. We have a tradition in the men's group that whenever it's someone's birthday, we will all sing happy birthday to them as loudly and as powerfully as we possibly can. And I remember the first time that we ever did this, and uh, it was one of our friends Trent's birthday. And Trent is a tough guy. You know, he was a sheriff's deputy. He is a, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He has all sorts of stories of wrestling prisoners in the jail that he worked in. But when we all sang happy birthday to him, there was a little look of terror on his face. <laughs> and uh, there, there's something incredibly powerful about a group of men uh, singing. So it's it's interesting that at the very beginning of the men's group, most of the guys, and this is really typical of, of guys, especially young guys, boys, let's say, is that they're embarrassed to sing. I mean, if you if you go to a church and you look around at the millennial guys, if they're singing at all, they're mumbling. And so at the very start of men's group, pretty much all of the guys were a little embarrassed of singing. It's just not a cultural norm. There's, I mean, not only is there a stigma against masculinity, there is something that's seemingly effeminate about singing. And so I remember that night when we sang happy birthday it was a joke you know and jeremy went around and i think this is the only way this could have worked that jeremy went around secretly to all of the guys individually and said we're gonna we're gonna spring this joke on trent and we're just gonna blast happy birthday as loud as we possibly can and as intimidating as we can and then everybody did and not only was there like a shrinking expression on trent's face as we just shouted at him there was shock on everybody else's face. Like, <laughs> this is a thing. Yeah, but it was at first shock, 
and then there was this giant grin yep. and just great enjoyment by the time it was all over with. And I, if I remember correctly, I, I think there were even expressions afterward of, I can't wait until the next birthday comes around. Well, and then it, that became singing happy birthday 13 times in, a, in one given night. This is true. <laughs> How many times can we get the birthday song in in an evening? <laughs> well, you know, there's something about singing together. I mean... It is a kind of acting out of the virtues that we're talking about, because one of the really important things about singing together is unison. Mm. And it's a it's a very manifest way to both experience very physically and tangibly the power of the men around you and also to add to that power yourself um, or that strength, I should say. Power has a an unfortunate stigma in postmodernism, but it's a contribution to this essentially band of brothers. The other thing is, and so we're what we've been doing is memorizing a hymn per month. And this past month, we memorized uh, a mighty fortress and you know, that great Reformation hymn by Martin Luther. And uh, by the end of the month, everybody was singing it from memory. And when when we're doing that, so we're singing unison, we're singing the same melody, but we're all singing of the same heart. And we're singing the same words and the same theology. And it's it's not just a unison of melody, but it's a unison of purpose. Yeah, it's interesting that singing is so important, and yet it is relatively small percentage of what the time we have each week that we actually spend singing. So maybe we could talk about some of the other aspects of men's group. I'd, I'd like to give people sort of an idea of the average night at men's group so that for some of those listening that might be thinking, I'd really like to start one of these groups. What does this look like? Yeah, well, it's funny that Justin should mention Band of Brothers because I remember not so long ago we watched... Um, the entire series, and you see in Band of Brothers the way that they bond in the most dire of situations, and they jab at each other all the time, that that rough-and-tumble kind of attitude toward one another because they know at any moment that the other one could be gone forever, and there's no time like the present time to just get really intimate and really personal. And so one of the things that I really like about men's group and just the closeness and the admissions and like you said earlier, the accountability partners, being able to tell one another stuff and to be able to take those sometimes crass jokes because we know that there's no harm in it, that we each have each other's best interests at heart and growing that level of closeness through the very sometimes weird and, and fe- it feels dangerous sometimes to open up. But once you do, it's, it's a huge relief knowing that there are people out there that you can share your deepest secrets with. It's just so freeing to be able to make an admission and then have your brothers pray for you about that. And to know throughout the week that when you struggle with something, that there are brothers thinking of you and praying for you that that you might not fall into that temptation again and that's i'm i'm super thankful that we've gotten to a place where we dedicate a significant chunk of the evening to that level of of sharing and praying it's definitely the the value of that you know confessing to one another admitting 
our faults to one another, where the culture might respond to that by denying it and reminding you that you're not you're not that bad and you didn't do anything wrong. Actually, you know, you're you're better than you thought. And, and kind of turning it back in that way, denying the problem or the heart problem or denying that it is a heart problem uh, to be in whatever condition or state. And instead, at men's group, instead of continually affirming one another and in, instead of that, what we do is we acknowledge that that is a problem. Like, like, and it's exciting when someone admits a problem or confesses something, confesses their sins, because now it's illuminated. It's, it's, you know, it's spotted. We can see it now and we can pray for it. And it's exciting to pray that this sin is destroyed. It's annihilated out of this person's life and it's weighing on them, and you love your brother, and you don't want it to weigh on them. You don't want them to be in rebellion to the Lord, great or small. It's a, such a wonderful thing as a brother to be uh, among brothers who you trust, and also to be trusted with it as a brother, for someone to come to you and, in, and confess to you is a blessing. Yeah, and in the context of that, I mean, <laughs> we know that we're not going to be coddled when we say something to each other, you know, or when we admit something or when we ask for um, support. When we ask for support, it means we want accountability. We want to be held to the standard, you know. And, you know, the the counterpart to that is the loyalty that is cultivated and established through that. Earlier on, Dakota, you said, getting to the point where we're willing to fall on a sword for each other. Probably my favorite story of the three mighty men that Jared was talking about. When David, at one point, you know, David and the mighty men were camped out in the caves away from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was occupied by the enemy. And at one point, David mentions in passing, and maybe to nobody in particular, how he just wishes he could have water from the well of Bethlehem. Cave water is probably not the most pleasant to drink. And so the the three main mighty men probably weren't doing anything that day, and so they said, Hey, why don't we why don't we go get him some water from Bethlehem? And so they they go together, the three of them. I think it's something like a seven hour hike in the sun through the desert to a city held by their enemy. They break through the walls of Bethlehem. They fight their way to the water source which is going to be protected heavily by the enemy. They get water and a wineskin, and they fight their way back, and they hike the seven hours back to the cave and give David this drink of water from Bethlehem. And I can imagine, I mean, it, it had to be half a joke, you know? So when David gets it, he, he pours it out on the ground. You know, he doesn't drink it. Um, he pours it out as a libation because he recognizes he does not deserve this kind of loyalty. Only God deserves that kind of loyalty, and so he himself makes a sacrifice of it. But, I mean, that is the kind of loyalty that was demonstrated by the mighty men. I don't know that we're at that point yet, but <laughs> I think we're we're getting there. I would charge into Bethlehem to get you water, Justin. <laughs> What would be the equivalent of that? I'd be like, I sure would like to have some Mount Rogers water right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting that you speak about Band of Brothers. One of the interesting things that comes up in almost every type of war memoir or soldiers' stories about war is that very few, if any, soldiers wind up fighting because they believe 
in a particular war, in a particular political cause or geopolitical whatever. Every soldier that you talk to has always will tell you that he fought because of the man beside of him. Mm -hmm. to keep the man beside of him alive and because he owed it to the man beside him not to quit. And that's why soldiers persist in combat. That's why that's why they endure. And, you know, I can't imagine men, you know, going through life without other men fighting beside them. That's that's not an experience we're intended to have. We have to, this men's group is countercultural in that it resists that atomization. It resists that loneliness that is, is has become so typical of the modern experience and we have brothers at arms that bolsters us that gives us a reason to continue not to ring the bell like justin was saying earlier it's really amazing to see when you talk to people or when you look at what people post online you know when you read about other people's experiences really how lonely the people in america are especially especially males and it's amazing how much a little encouragement can help someone being able to meet together every single week i mean we've met when did you start this jeremy three years ago yeah, fall, fall 2018. 2018. We've we've met every single Monday without fail. If you if you turn the news on, and it doesn't matter which news channel you turn it to, it's likely that you'll hear something about this mental health pandemic or this epidemic that we've got going on, and you know it's in response to a lot of the current events, and and they'll argue for you know things to bolster mental health and pouring money into this, pouring money into that, and I can't tell you how effective this men's group has been toward my mental health. I don't think that it requires great amounts of money and organizations and and all of these things to, to get the mental health in the U.S. back to where it needs to be. I think it just takes meeting with brothers and, and spending that time together just working through the hard things. Because if I didn't have this, and I didn't at one point, it was a season that I spent in China and it was apart from any other Christians and it was one of the darkest seasons that I remember. And thank God it was only a few months at a time. And that was a really dark season. And I can't imagine that being life. But like you said, Jared, we've been meeting together regularly in person. Three years meeting every week, growing together, sharing together, and living together. I think it's interesting if you think about, if you watched men's group from a distance, what would you see? You would see the smoke coming up from the grill. You would see men parking their cars and walking up maybe through the back gate into the backyard where there was a fire pit going. Or you would see men shaking hands. Lots of handshaking. Lots of laughter. Lots of smiling. Face-to-face -face interaction. All the things that we as a culture have forgotten are so important this year. We do those, that we practice those things, and then you, you would see men talking and listening to each other. When, when in our culture do men get to sit across from each other and really talk about things that matter to them when, when there doesn't have to be some other props, like, well, we'll go fishing or we'll go shooting together, we'll go, you know, to practice some hobby. This, this gives us a chance to come together and really talk in ways that men need to be reminded, not only is it okay, you need this. And so you would see men talking face-to-face -face around a circle. You would see men 
praying, men singing together, men opening the word of God on their laps, men sharing scripture, you know, all the things you would see from a distance, I think, just paints a picture of how important this kind of fellowship is. This isn't something we do over Zoom meetings, because this needs to happen in person to have the right effect. This needs this and this is something that I hope to see replicated around the around the country and around the world and and I'm sure it is happening here and there, but I think hopefully the men listening to this will be reminded of this needs to be deliberate and thank you, Jeremy, for making this happen and for deliberately continuing this tradition. Yeah, I mean, it's it's remarkable how it happened. You know, you say thank you, but honestly, I don't even know where this came from. It, it's almost like it was materialized out of thin air. You know, God gave us this thing, and he decided that these men in Virginia would meet together, and they would grow together. I don't know even how to describe how that that baffles me. You know, it's it's how God's providence works in that way. And it's remarkable to me. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that we all decide that this is valuable and we need this, it just wouldn't exist. Yeah, and it's also remarkable how quickly some of us got integrated because it was a matter of mere months of being a part of the men's group. And I had made friendships that I felt like had begun a lifetime ago and hoped would continue a lifetime in the future. Yeah, the necessity of it should not be underestimated, can't be overstated, because it, you know, it is part of the archetype of being a man. You cannot be a full man if you don't have a brotherhood. You know, David had his mighty men, King Arthur had his Knights of the Round Table. It's not, it shouldn't be a surprise that it is such a, such a solution to mental health, because, I mean, of course, you're going to have horrible mental health conditions if you can't be who you were created to be um, because the environment in which you live is hostile to your potential constantly stifled and suffocated you don't have the nutrients of exhortation that you need i think that's really what we're talking about here is we're talking about platoon level christianity you know and if you don't have good platoons, you can't have a good company, you can't have a good army. In order to have a good platoon, you've got to have good non-commissioned officers, you've got to, you've got to have men leading the way, and, and you've got to have a fellowship, you've got to have camaraderie, you've got to bond together, you've got to feel willing to fight for each other. But I, I think that that must be what's missing from a lot of Christianity in America today, or good platoons. And so naturally you have men out there dying alone, essentially die their faith is dying and um, you know show me a man who's losing his faith and i can probably show you someone who's isolated and doesn't have a platoon uh, mm. around him and and what the voices surrounding him are saying it's okay to ring the bell every now and then right right and those aren't really his friends yeah mm. those are his temp tempters yeah. so cultivate a brotherhood and don't ring the bell yeah and and, and be the man who starts singing in the surf. Mm -hmm. When I was reading that book, A Train in Winter, they were talking about how men would sing on the way to being executed, and you could hear it inside the prison, through the walls. There was a system of pipes connecting the cells, and someone figured out you could sing Happy Birthday, and it would reverberate. If you sang it into the sink, it would reverberate through the entire prison. These songs bind us together 
just like the Navy SEALs, even when you can't see each other, even when you feel separated and you feel alone, you can't see the man beside you, you can hear them singing, and that's how you know they're there. So mentioning singing and, and forming solidarity, maybe it would be appropriate if we closed with the men's group singing A Mighty Fortress together. Oh. Uh-huh.